Warning, this episode contains spoilers for the whole of season two of The Umbrella Academy. Hello and welcome to Brolly Buddies, the podcast in which we discuss the Netflix adaptation of The Umbrella Academy, usually episode by episode. But if you follow us on social media, you've probably already seen that we've got something a little bit different. And if you don't follow us, why not? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Brolly Buddies and come and say hey and see what we're up to. Today, we're bringing you bonus content in the form of an interview with the brilliant Chris White and Aidan Martin from VFX company Weta Digital. You might have seen their work in films like The Hobbit or Planet of the Apes, but we sat down to talk about something you've definitely seen. Their work bringing to life iconic Umbrella Academy characters AJ Carmichael the Goldfish and our favourite chimp Pogo. They were both so lovely to talk to and I learned so much about what goes on behind the scenes and now I'm really excited to share it with all of you. So here it is. Hope you enjoy it. So I am very delighted to be joined by Weta Digital's VFX supervisor Chris White and animation supervisor Aidan Martin. So hi guys and welcome to Brolly Buddies. Hi. Hi, thanks for having us. It's an absolute pleasure. So first of all, can you tell us about your roles and what that meant for your work on Pogo and AJ, like what that actually sort of looked like in the production? Yeah, my role was um, VFX supervisors. So in terms of the production, it was looking after the visual effects for any of the shots that Weta Digital received. So that was the majority of what work we were doing was with uh, young baby Pogo and with AJ Carmichael, the goldfish in the kind of cyborg body. Um, so that's working with all the artists, working with Aiden, the animation supervisor, and working with the um, the showrunner and the visual effects supervisor, Everett Burrell, um, on putting together the look and, and all the special effects for the show. Yeah, and uh, as far as my role as the animation supervisor, I'm uh, pretty much responsible for everything that Weta puts on screen that's moving, whether that be camera motion, uh, body motion, fish motion, facial performance, um, props that rattle around. And as far as the production is concerned, we normally have a reasonable um, template from Everett and the team over there. We um, They normally shoot an on-set performer, which we then take and recreate on our stage here using uh, mocap. Uh, in terms of Pogo, we did mocap, but in terms of AJ, we're, we're yet to have actually mocapped a fish. We could maybe we should have tried it, Aiden. We should have given it a go. Put little like scuba kind of thing. Little scuba dots on the on a fish. Yeah, get them to stand still to calibrate. Would have been great for a publicity shot, anyway. Yeah, amazing. So, how many people are actually involved in creating characters like Pogo and AJ, and how much time does it actually take to do? Well, it's interesting. There's a lot of people actually go into it. I think Chris might have the. Is it about 200 people touch the show at some point? Yeah, I think that's it. Touch the show from all different departments, from yeah. you know roto to optical to, but I think our core team was somewhere around 50. You know, was the main core that was actively working throughout the the whole production. But yeah, it could get as high as 200. And in in terms of going into creating, I would have to look at it, but maybe it's around six six months or so for creating the characters and the shots that they were in. Um, we could easily spend, you know, several months building and creating 
uh, characters like Pogo and AJ, just you know, mm. building them from the ground up. I mean, or from the bones, kind of inside out. And then, and then there's the actual production time of of putting them into the shots. Mm. And it's and it's interesting. We, I remember a few years ago, like it took months and months of look dev, you know, to be getting one of our apes up to a really nice renderable standard. And now we're sort of our apes are a lot faster to produce and get them in, you know, looking good in shots. So our our Pogo is looking pretty good out of the box and then there's a lot of grooming and a lot of um, adjustments to be made like tiny micro adjustments to be made on someone like pogo whereas with aj we were really starting from scratch because we haven't done a um, a hero goldfish like that ever before so hmm. a while he was a smaller a potentially more simple looking character i think he took a little bit longer to get looking right yeah he definitely did and it is i think there's a lot of an educational process too because like you said, we've been doing apes for quite a bit. So we knew you know, their anatomy and how they worked. But um, part of it, at least for me, was actually understanding the structure of a goldfish and how the bones and the jaw works. And um, yeah. so it, it took a bit just to understand him as a creature and a character. Fantastic. And who else did you work with from the Umbrella Academy production team? And what was that working relationship like kind of from... I suppose the initial conversations you had to seeing that final product and what does that journey look like? Who we worked with mostly would be the um, the overall and co-producer Everett Burrell. So he's looking after the visual effects for the entire show and the entire season. So he's working with us and other visual effects houses. And so him and his team were was our most direct contact. And so as we're starting in pre-production, he would start to give us an idea of of what you know the uh, different things we'd be working on for the show, tell us a bit about the new characters. Um, he had an, an art direction team as well. So with Pogo, they were providing sculpts and drawings that they had worked through on their side for the younger version of Pogo. Um, so it's a collaboration back and forth of what we are creating and also working with, with him and his team to kind of bring it all together. So he was him and his team were probably our biggest direct contact. And then he was working with Steve Blackman as well. And we were working with him, the showrunner to put it all together and make sure that Steve is happy with with all the work. And do you start creating the characters before the actual filming is done and then kind of integrate it in? On this one, we actually did because they were beginning filming, but we had already started designing Young Pogo. Mm. Um, for this show, we actually did, uh, Aiden, we did this nice little test where because we hadn't received any of the, the footage yet, um, we wanted to see what Young Pogo would look like. So we actually Oh, that's right. Into, that. Yeah, it was good because I, I dug that up the other day. We put him into the background plates of some of the original season. Yeah. So there was a shot of um, Vanya. One of the, the cold table. opens where she's eating porridge or something. Yeah. Young Vanya. Yeah. yeah, she's with Grace and she's eating porridge, yeah, at the table. And, and we Hargrave, didn't. Hargrave's standing in the background. And it was older Pogo that was with him because that was one of that's our right. shots. Yeah. So we painted out Vanya and just put baby Pogo eating. Um, porridge there replaced it and sent that to to steve blackman and to everett to give them a you know idea of what young pogo would look like and it was just perfect because it was a shot that we had already worked on we already had the lighting set up and it was just it's really nice to see it in context versus just kind of a, a character turntable so yeah um wow. and i think Aiden, we also had him kind of running around the um yeah, we had him in one of the, the the shots from season one where Luther was burnt and lying on the... No, it wasn't Luther, it was... Um, uh, Allison. Allison was lying on the gurney, with, yeah, all bandaged up, and we yeah, put him in the foreground running around. That's right. 
Yeah. So that was a nice test because it kind of got people excited about what it was going to look like. Um, but it, it gave us the ability to get going earlier while they were still filming and, and um, editing. I would love to see baby Pogo eating porridge. That sounds adorable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cute. That's That was the thing. Yeah, that, that was just a good test for us to uh, sort of give the uh, the facial rig a bit of a run through. Because, I mean, like if you can look like he's actually eating porridge, then you, you can pretty much do anything. I would say I think the cutest shot, though, is with him sleeping. Um, oh, with yeah. the little pajamas. The pajamas. Me, <laughs> yeah. you would not imagine the uh, amount of look, Dev, that went into just a simple pair of pajamas. Yeah. They sent us over an actual pair of pajamas from the actual production because their um, their on-set performer wore them, didn't she? Or she? Yeah, I think she. Yeah, they they did. They sent us over that. Uh, that's one thing that's been great about the show, and that was with even with season one, the costume department would send us over all of um, Pogo's outfits. You know, so we had the physical materials there to to work with and to match to, and just get all the the texture and feel. So having that versus just trying to create it digitally was a big help for um, for the, his realism. Sure, I can imagine that being a very big help. I was actually going to ask you about the uh, pogo and pajamas because it's just such a sweet little scene. Um, so that's uh, that's really good to know. So in general, I guess, what is it like? to work on a show like the Umbrella Academy, especially when I, I suppose you guys hadn't really done TV before. It's more film. Mm, the schedule seems is a, is a lot different. And even season one versus season two, it felt a little different as well, because I think in season one, they'd finished a lot more shooting by the time that we'd started. Um, our schedule seemed a lot more regimented. And so where our targets are a little bit more weekly based. So we're sort of blocking shots, finaling shots, blocking shots, finaling shots, like week to week. Oh, and that also goes with lighting. So animation's usually about... For this, where animation was maybe one or two weeks ahead of lighting. Mm. Whereas, yes, for more film production, the life of a shot, especially in animation, could take six weeks or eight weeks. And then um, lighting might start six weeks after anim starts and lighting might go for another six weeks. So, yes, it's more um, compacted, the schedules. And I think from season one, they'd done a lot more shooting, so we were a little bit more clued into where we were going with the shots. And season two, we were sort of hot on the heels of shooting. So they were shooting episodes as we were working on episodes. So we were a little bit closer to hand to mouth, I guess. They would shoot an episode and then a month later we would start working on it sort of thing. And I think also with the um, difference between season one and season two is our work was more concentrated into a handful of episodes in season two. So we knew mm. less of the story. We just knew our little part of it. So watching the actual season, which I did a week or so ago, was great because I just I didn't know about <laughs> any of it really. Except yeah, for our we, we had no idea where it was going. Um, yeah, we only saw our tiny little compact pieces. The only thing outside of what we worked on that we actually saw was a one single shot of um, Diego lying on the ground after uh, Hargreaves stabs him. And so we were all like, oh, my God, Diego dies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's all we had outside of, our, outside of what we saw, outside of what we worked on. Yeah, I suppose you must get really uh, invested in the show in a different way. And, yeah, when you, you kind of have these little snippets of what's going on, but you don't know where it's actually going or like the wider context yeah we have yeah. no idea how much you have the bigger context of anything and so even with our little um you know the uh, the young pogo opening scene with the, the training sequence mm. you know we can watch it and we watched it again and again and again and again and um you see all these people in the background like the um the weird government agent guy you know, mm -hmm. what is going on there yeah 
or we noticed even with the, the sleeping baby Pogo at the end, we, as the camera pulls back in the little like paper on a desk yeah. and there's a little sparrow stamp there. And I was like, Hmm, I wonder what that little sparrow is. Um, so yeah, we get that stuff all in high def and we can, we can pull through all the frames and <laughs> <laughs> but we, yeah, without the greater context, we don't really know what's going on. Oh, that's amazing. I was wondering, uh, as well when, we're, we're kind of re-watching it as we do podcast episodes on each episode and mm-hmm. uh, we're doing our little sparrow count as we go. So we're trying oh, yeah, to, to just spot them as we go. Mm. But I was I was trying to work out whether um, they had all been added like in the set or in post. We never added any, though. In the, I think it was that that was the only shot I think we had, Aiden, correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. had a sparrow in it, but it was already in it was already in play. Yeah. yeah. The only thing we added was we helped adding the Pogo name in the drawing and stuff at the very end of that. But um, yeah, but I think that was um, <laughs> just crispy yeah. focus a bit on the, yeah, the end frame. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one thing I would say though, is that the set work is amazing. Like the time when mm-hmm. I visited on set and you walk into some of those, like the amount of work into the detail of getting that period piece, like it felt like you had stepped back into the sixties so I would assume all those sparrows, they put them everywhere because there's so much attention to detail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's hard to describe until you actually go through them. You know, even outside of, I think it was Morty's, like all of that's just um, constructed really well. Yeah, and when, you, when we're looking at plates, there's not a lot of treatment put on the plates. Like that, that's what they shot. It's just gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. It's really amazing. There's not, um, especially inside, there's no set extensions or anything. That's exactly what they shot. Mm-hmm. that's amazing yeah i think it's absolutely stunning the whole I, I loved season one as well but season two obviously because it's it's this like period piece it's just incredible yeah quick question as well on on i suppose wider context again were you familiar with the comic books um before you started work or heard of the umbrella academy tv show or was it completely new i hadn't heard of it um, but as soon as we heard that it was happening, we all went out. Well, I, I went out and I bought the, the comics and, yeah. uh, and read them through. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't familiar with it either. Um, same thing. I just, yeah, I went out and, and picked up the comics. And, and sometimes I watched like the, the fan groups because there's such, you know, a strong fan base. Um, and uh, yeah, I started to get myself familiar with it. Okay. So thinking more specifically about our very much beloved Pogo, did you kind of have any insider info on Pogo's backstory from the start when you first created, I guess when you first created adult Pogo? In season one? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily, not to the detail that um, season two went to. Although while we were working on season one, Everett did uh, sort of mention a couple of different ideas that they were having for Pogo for season two as a younger version of him. So we... We knew that they were developing a younger, younger sort of backstory of him. But what, I guess while when we started, we didn't really have much of an idea of his backstory, other than he's, um, you know, he's always been some sort of genetically modified chimp that has always sort of been Hargreaves' right hand man. Uh, we didn't really have an idea of where he came from as a the whole NASA space training thing. We didn't really have any idea of that. So I'm not sure when that became a part of it. 
Mm. Yeah. And I remember when we were designing him, like one of the things that was interesting, like on, on season one was how much discussion we had about his glasses. Because mm. um, they were so <laughs> iconic in the, the cartoon. And I was talking to Steve Blackman about it. And we were going back and forth on the shape of it. And we went through different designs. And then part of it was like, it was, it was, it was probably nuts how much discussion there actually was of like, how does it fit on his nose? And how does he take him off and on? And there's even <laughs> like the, even the little clips, you'd have to zoom in super close, but even the clips have a certain tread on there so that the size of his fingers could allow him to clip. Yeah. It could actually allow him to like clip them on and off. And the fact yeah. that he doesn't actually have a, a nose bridge was a bit of a problem, but yeah. So there's a huge discussion on just his glasses, which you wouldn't think as much about when you're watching the show, but even, yeah, talking to Aiden, do they move with his nose as much or do they just kind of sit there? You know, there was many discussion, um, but I'm glad they're in there because it is such an iconic part of his look, an older Pogo. Yeah. I think they definitely help to bring the, to anthropomorphize him even more. Mm-hmm. So how did you approach creating baby Pogo? Because, well, obviously he's been a huge hit with audiences He's also very recognizable as Pogo, but at the same time, quite different. He's not had that that serum yet. He's less human. He's mm. very, very cute. Um, what was it kind of important to bring to that? And yeah, what was the what approach did you take? Aiden, do you want to? Yeah, well, we did get a, a maquette and some character design art and some artwork from the production. And our um, our art director, Gino, took that and did his own paint overs and sort of increased the cuteness because I think the first maquette that we got, the first design we got, just looked a lot like old Pogo, but he was just still a bit too old looking, yeah. even though he was mm-hmm. younger and his um, proportions had changed a bit. You know, his eye line still and his brow shape still seemed a bit, um, a little bit too, um, too rigid. And uh, he was just a little bit ugly. I mean, he needed some cutifying. So Gino cutified him with some paint overs and some re-sculpting of the, um, some digital sculpting of the maquette. And then he, we would sort of push his head around a little bit and get a, a scan from an actual chimp skull and make sure that, that the digital maquette fit the actual chimp skull proportion. So we knew we were working with a, a real you know, sized chimp at that point. And then we went through a few iterations on his size, like how old was he? Like, is he a few months old? Is he a couple of years old? Is he, you know, is he more of a teenager? So we had sort of three different sizes we were sort of playing around with. Um, and we went for the middle one, so he's sort of a three, four-year-old chimp, I think. And yeah, we, we were lucky enough to be able to start from a um, sort of a skeletal structure that um, you know size that we'd uh, had from Planet of the Apes. We started with one of the um, the the baby chimps from there, but you know his proportions ended up being a lot different to um, to the Planet of the Apes ones because they were a bit younger. So we made him a little bit bigger, and his head's a slightly different shape because. Um, while we wanted to make sure he was anatomically correct, he's still a really recognizable character. He's his own um, character traits. Yeah, exactly. As we were working along and um, as we were sort of getting into the NASA training scene, the Mandalorian came out mm. and baby Yoda popped up. And the next phone call we had from Everett was, oh, my God, we need to make Pogo cuter than baby Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> So that was our next mission. So then we we went a bit crazy, and um, Baby Pogo got real cute, like cartoonishly Bambi cute. The eyes went huge and um, enlarged the ears, and like he was ridiculously cute. Like we cranked it all the way to eleven. 
And then Everett was like, oh, my God, it's too much. It's too much. We've got to dial it back. <laughs> Bring it back to nine. <laughs> yeah. And also with um, to try and make him recognizable with older Pogo, we took some of his like his textures and everything from the older Pogo and de-aged them so that the spots and different things that form later in older Pogo are evident in baby Pogo. It's the same kind of textures just taken back many years. And there was also something that's um, that he has this, this kind of curvature to his mouth, which is mm-hmm. not particularly what realistic chimps have, but it was something that's distinguished for him that they wanted to make sure they bring out. And you see it particularly in that image they like to use a lot where he's sitting in the chair and he's kind of smiling. Um, mm. That it's just this kind of curve to his mouth that was cute. And one thing Gino had suggested too is that little baby chimps kind of pucker their lips a little way. So we sent them back these pictures of little puckered baby, you know, chimps and diapers kind of things of, <laughs> of that little pucker they do. So that was that was put into it to just add that extra little bit. Of cuteness it's subtle but it, it does make a difference yeah it's not too mm. hard to make a baby chimp cute because if you just google baby chimps they're all free <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes he is definitely cute when i first saw him i was a bit like move over baby yoda this is <laughs> yeah. this is the new cute king <laughs> yeah we see a fair amount of physical interaction between pogo and other characters mm. so there's like a little bit of holding hands a little bit of hugging mm. yeah. what are the challenges of having VFX characters interacting with, with the real actors, and how does that work? How do you do it? Yeah, um, yeah. Like whenever we see, whenever we see digital characters interacting, it's a blessing and a curse because it's, it's difficult to pull off well, but it, on the flip side, it it makes our characters feel more tactile and more real. So we like when we have those opportunities, but they are challenging. Um, so there's. Is there sort of two scenarios? There's a scenario where you've got one actor, like an actor on their own acting to nothing, and then we have to um, essentially trace over the real-life actor with what we call a digital match move. So we make a, a puppet that sort of approximates their size, and then we um, will rotomate that puppet in their spot so that we have a 3D representation of them. And then we get our character in the scene, and we can use our character and perform use them to touch and uh, touch the 3d match move and perform offside that that's the worst case scenario the best case scenario is when you have your main actor and your on-set performer which is nine times out of ten which is that's what we did with with pogo and with aj actually which is lucky um it, it is one thing that we do try to insist on uh, with clients, just them, you know, di- shooting with an on-set performer and shooting multiple witness cameras to help us see the interaction from other angles, not just the main, not just the main camera. Um, it helps us with our match moving, and it helps just getting the idea of where our character should be in real space. So yeah, uh, mainly with Pogo, they had a, um, a a smaller performer, and she would do most of the actions. Uh, or sit in the chair that Pogo was sitting in, and she would hug Grace and hold Grace's hand. And then the best thing about that is then that um, the actor who played Grace, she would actually have something to touch and hold on to, so it made her performance look more real because her performance is real. And then we're able to use that and put Pogo over the top of the um, the onset performer, which mm. would not necessarily use the onset performer's acting choices per se, but just using being able to use the moments of contact just makes our performance look more real. And yeah. it's easier and a bit easier to you know, um, 
you know, integrate shadows and lighting if there's somebody there that we're trying to match for shadows and lighting versus having to make it all up. Yeah, it, it definitely helps when you have those two interacting. Um, one of the, the tougher things that we always run into with that when you have the actor ha hugging with them is always the clothing interaction. Mm. Um, the clothing interaction as like Grace's um, – her lab coat is kind of buckling and, and those type of things and her reaching around. Um, some of those shots can be some of the hardest shots to do. Like the um, in season one, the amount of time we actually spent with just Vanya's hand on Pogo's <laughs> back in the first hug. Oh my God, yeah. Like it was maybe a month plus just integrating the way her hand touched the back of his jacket. Did we eventually go with a digital hand for that? Yeah, there's digital hands and fingers and blends between that and the plate. Um, and it was just a subtle thing that it was just that his jacket was more red than the gray onset clothing that the person was wearing. So the light interaction on her hand didn't would never look right so um simple things like that it's a i don't there's no easy solution for it except for just digging in there but um it's the clothing getting that to fold and interact just right and hands are always hand interactions are always some of the toughest ones <laughs> so ken hall who plays well he plays like adult pogo's body right <laughs> Um, in in season one, yeah, is it weird to watch him and see him, especially because Herb is is kind of a bigger role in season two? Did that feel strange? Yeah, I, I liked it. I, it's um, it's great it's, again. There's such different performances as well. I think it, it's great to see Ken you know, doing something so much broader and something with a bit more. Um, I think you see a bit more of Ken in uh, in her mm -hmm. performance, whereas a lot more um, pulled back in uh, in Pogo's performance. And Ken reprised older pogo in the uh, the funeral scene in episode yeah. 10 um so that was that was amazing i like, almost felt emotional seeing you know working on old, old pogo for those few shots that we did there that was really oh yeah this is what we do yeah and it's also a hard scene of those kids getting talked down at their <laughs> funeral you know it's just it's hargraves is so so rough in this in this season you know but he was also it's a really you know, I, I thought it was great seeing hargraves you know, being sort of young and in love as well, sort of earlier on, it's like he was a totally different kind of beast. Mm -hmm. You know, he was a bit more of a, um, had some sort of compassion in his life, and then I'm not sure where it left. But, yeah, uh, then it went, yeah. Yeah, it was weird. Yes. It's so strange, isn't it, seeing him sort of entertaining a room full of people and all these sort of socialites. Do you get attached to your creations? And what is it then like showing them and ha having to create them in sort of fear and distress and pain? Um, yeah, I think as um, from an animator's perspective, um, you do get quite caught up in the emotional thing that you're trying to portray in a shot and in a scene. And yeah, you can get, um, I assume you're talking about Pogo in the capsule when it's, yeah. when he's, um, when it, the alarms are going and he's all scared. Like, yeah, that's the hard, hardest thing about that is, you know, for us, you know, it's like, well, do we want to look up reference for that? Do we want to actually look up, you know, distressed chimps and things? Mm. Like, you don't want to, mm -hmm. you don't really want to be looking at those sort of things. Like, uh, so that's kind of the hardest thing. Finding reference for animals and distresses is never fun. And then putting that in and portraying that, like, you do feel, like, I, I always feel like you're trying to get your head, you're trying to get your, um, your presence you know, into what you're working on, 
Uh, and yeah, it can be it can be pretty emotionally draining. Uh, and you know, when you're sitting there in dailies and you're looking at shots and you know you're talking to animators like, yeah, I think we I think he's not quite distressed enough. You know, he's looking a little too relaxed in here. We need to ramp it up. You know, it's it's not a pleasant thing. But also, you know, how's too what's too far? You never know. Yeah, and then also you have I think it's the flip side with your characters where you're working on it and someone new joins the show and they come in and it's on the screen. They go, Oh, you know, to see him like, you know, you're like, oh, okay, no. well, that's working. Or no, I'm talking about the more like the compa- like cute. Oh, oh you yeah. Know? Well, yeah. I, I love the, um, what? No, I don't love, but every time the shot, the scene where he comes in, he's all burnt and he's on the gurney and, um, um, Hargreaves comes in with the syringe. Yeah. Everyone who sees that is always like, Oh no, Pogo. Yeah. Is he dead? Well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Easiest one to animate, though. Yeah, there's quite a <laughs> lot actually happening in that scene with his the transformation after the serum, and his eyes are changing, and there's there's lots of little subtle things in there as he mm-hmm. as he gets that. So chimps are already very similar to humans, but how do you make a fish feel real and have personality and be relatable and allow people to? connect to on some level you know whether it's a character they like or not oh yeah good old aj that was quite a journey we when aj came along which i was really glad for because i remember in season one we were a bit disappointed that um there was no you know fish in a uh cyborg body that was in <laughs> same, that was that, that character which was in the um in the comic which obviously got replaced with um <clears throat> the handler yeah. Um, I was really excited when um, for season two. It was like, yep, we're getting AJ Carmichael. Like, yes, but how the hell are we doing that? Like, mm-hmm. I think early on we were Steve Blackman and Everett were really conscious of him not looking like Nemo. They didn't want a cartoony fish. Yeah, or Mr. Limpet. They said, yeah, it has to look real. Yeah, it's got to look real. So we went down the route of being very anatomically correct with his bone structure and how his facial. You know, his facial rig worked almost to the point where like we were too anatomically correct and it was quite difficult to get him to talk properly or mm-hmm. to make it look like he was talking. Um, so we started to make a few concessions, not big ones, just a, more about the asymmetry we could achieve with the face, uh, especially with the lip area, because they don't really they don't really have a jaw that goes flaps up and down like we have. They have a this sort of tunnel snooty thing that sort of pops in and out. So it's, you know, sort of sucking things in and spitting things out, which isn't um, so great for articulating speech. Uh, and also, like, their eyes, they don't have they don't have eyebrows or eyelids or anything like that. So getting, um, you know, some shape to the eye to you know, have some sort of uh, emotion through the eyes is quite difficult. Uh, early on, we were, just, we were trying to get it working with the head angles, which uh, with some of our tests early on, that worked, except... Um, when we were getting plates to see how he was shot, he's a lot further away than we sort of anticipated, so he's quite small on screen a lot of the time. Mm. Uh, so that sort of stuff wasn't working. And so we were we did have to make con- some concessions and put some little cheeky eyelids in just to shape his eyes a little bit so he would be a little bit angrier or, you know, a little sterner. It was also something we worked into his textures as well. Mm. Um, and yeah, because we were trying to, like Aiden was saying, trying to emphasize his, his kind of stern look and his eyebrows his if you look at his, the spots on them his 
the darker spots form little eyebrows and he's got a little patch a darker spot like a patch on his head and he's even got a little mustache yeah, it's a little mustache yeah <laughs> so his his texture is helped to define his face and his characters as well his spots really yeah and his his motion and initially we were directed towards they wanted him to be like um Alec Baldwin's character from Glengarry Glen Ross coffee's for closers and so that was our initial animation test. We were using Alec Baldwin's character and um, just doing a few tests on some lines from Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, which was hilarious. And it was amazing to see this goldfish talking like Alec Baldwin. From the first animation test there, it was like, oh, yeah, this is going to work. This is going to be great. The bigger issue there was like you can, do, you can animate a fish by just sort of pretending to be a human, or you can animate a fish based off a human's performance. But he doesn't. He just looks like a cartoon. That he doesn't really look like a fish. So we mm-hmm. um, we went to the pet shop, and we were looking at some fish, and um, taking some photos and for reference and so on. And eventually, we actually adopted two fish, which uh, Gino took into his studio, uh, which are named AJ and Carmichael. <laughs> and then we um, we got a green screen and a three camera setup with a you know even with a, a red camera. And we shot a lot of footage of our two fish, um, AJ and Carmichael, swimming around. And then um, when we synced all that footage up from three different angles, and um, so Craig and I, who Craig's Craig Young's the uh, lead animator, and also our pogo uh, motion capture ape guy specialist, um, Craig and I would sit there and look at all the shots we had, and then we'd pick a section from our um, reference shoot that seemed like the actual our real uh, reference fish sort of moving and having the right kind of attitude for what the, the lines were in the, um, in the particular shot. So then we could just, you know, cut that out, put it into our shot and use that as a almost direct reference for our actual fish body performance. And then, yeah, didn't do the, um, the facial performance over the top of that, which, which again, like sped up our workflow immeasurably as well, because you, if something was wrong, you could always go back to the reference and just say, well, this is what our real fish is doing. This is why it doesn't look mm-hmm. right on our digital fish. So, yeah, we just using a real fish to sort of approximate the voice performance rather than going from the human performance backwards was, um, I think, the key to making a real fish feel like he's talking, if that's what real fish can do. <laughs> It's and it's actually it's one of the things that that we learned over the years too is using that same reference. You know, each animal has its own characteristics, so we were using the same reference for AJ versus looking at lots of different fish on the net and things like that. And we learned that way back in Kong and and through Apes and all those series is that if you're looking at something for reference, we're grabbing it from the same animal, the same character because they all have unique personalities and characteristics and you want that to be consistent all the way through. And then the, the other thing about AJ too is that, um, you know, you think so much about the fish, but his kind of dome in his body was actually part of his character as well. Um, like we spent a bit of time trying to figure out what the right dome size that is, how big of the, of yeah. a, and the, the first one we did, it was like a miscommunication with, um, with the client and um the dome was gigantic like it was it was huge it was like, we, a, yeah, it was like one of those vinyl pop dolls it was ridiculous. yeah 
And we were like, do they really want it this big? And then we sent it back to them and they're like, why is it so big? And we were just like, because it was just a communication of a dome reference they had sent to us. And then so we spent a bit of time like trying to figure out the right size that he looked like he had enough space in there to do all his action, but also didn't didn't look like the body couldn't support this big didn't thing. Didn't look like it was about a hundred pounds of glass and water and just you know sitting yeah. on top of a spindly neck. Yeah. Um, and then Aiden and his team added like a little bit of movement to the kind of ball and socket part of the the dome, and they're like, "Oh, that's interesting. There's some kind of characteristic of." the way the dome is moving. So that was a whole animation of itself was like, how does the dome move relative to what he's saying? And or yeah, even does the, how, does the dome react to AJ's movement or does the dome react to the body's movement? And also is the body, like, even with AJ's performance versus the body's performance is does AJ gesture and the body does something like is AJ miming lighting a cigarette or is that just happening while AJ is, is talking. So, the dome motion, yeah, we, I think we, we were just like, I don't know how this thing moves. So we just sent them three options, which was static, so it didn't move at all, and it just kind of moved, you know, the body moved and the, the head just followed exactly with the, the collar. Static or counter-animated, so it would always stay upright and it would always try and be uh, not wobble around too much. Or the third one was it actually reacted to... Um, when the body moved forward, it would dip forward and it could sort of just sort of correct itself a little bit, which had a little bit more motion on it. And it was definitely the one that was more performance driven. And that's definitely the one they, they, they liked the most, the more performance driven head. But I, I like to think of AJ's relationship to the body is that AJ is sort of a visual representation of a brain. And so your brain can be thinking one thing while your body's doing another thing. Yeah. It's, it's a perfect, I guess, example of that is when he's running away from five down the hallway, he's looking back toward the camera thinking five's because five's behind him, but the body's running forward and then five pops in front of him and then he spins around to, to see five there. Mm. So I think that's, that's where the body and yeah, and the fish are doing different things. And I think even with our original design on AJ, originally he always had gloves on and I don't. Or oh, the body, yeah. Yeah, the body had gloves on. I don't know all the history of it, but um, I believe they decided to just take them off when they were shooting and thought it looked odd. Creepy. You know, <laughs> those, seeing those hands with that, the whole um, body, seeing the human-like hands. But it's fine. Like Within their world, they do have the technology to create very human-looking Yeah, cyborgs. which is Grace. Like, yeah, like Grace is very obviously very human-looking and a cyborg. And, mm. and we've figured out that you know, Hargreaves is wearing a mask this whole time. So, yeah, their universe does hold um, the ability to have very realistic-looking cyborg bits, mm-hmm. or prosthetics. Yeah, it does. That's so interesting. I love the idea of this um, this version of Carmichael with a, with a giant head, like the Luther of Goldfish. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was <laughs> <laughs> I've got a couple of questions from from some of our listeners, but I think you've actually answered a couple of them already, so that's good. But I will just give a little shout-out to you. Rachel on Twitter and Katie on Instagram. But Ophelia on Instagram also had a few questions, but I'm just going to go with one of them. What was your favorite part about working on the Umbrella Academy? Hmm. What? Oh, man, my favorite part is it's not super Umbrella, Umbrella Academy related, but I really enjoy working with Everett and Chris because um, as far as um, Umbrella Academy as a production, they everyone's so nice and so like into it. Everyone's a real sort of fan of the show and 
Um, everybody wants it to do really well. So in, uh, I don't know, like there's no, no one's grumpy at anybody. No one's ever yelling at anybody. The, the deadlines aren't like, they don't feel like, like they're unachievable or anything. It's just such a nice, cool show to work on. And I think everyone's just got a really good vibe about the whole show, which is really cool to come back to season two and have most of the crew from season one back on season two. So, you know, it just felt like we were getting the band back together and we were just doing it all over again. That's my favorite part about Umbrella Academy. Lovely. Yeah, I think with it, without completely mimicking what Aiden said, but it's it is it's 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 working with that team. Um, I mean, it's it, the cool thing about it is that we're open to pitch ideas and they're receptive to those, and it's just it's yeah, it's a good collaborative, easy environment. Um, and I guess the, the other part too. I mean, I, I love working on Pogo and um, all these odd characters like AJ, but it's also I kind of follow the fan base as well. So it's, um, I guess it adds a little bit of um, energy to it because you see people are starting to get excited, you know, when season three comes out or their season two comes out and it's just like, there's this enthusiasm that starts to build. And, um, and so it feels like when you're working on it, you know that people are waiting for it, which adds quite a lot, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm new to television. So having that almost like a couple years in a row is, is pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah, the fandom, the Umbrella Academy fandom is is great. Yeah. Um, in in size and quality. All right, let's uh, wrap this up there. But it has been so great to chat to you both. Thank you so much again for joining us. This oh, has been yeah, really really you. interesting, and we all absolutely love your work, and <laughs> it's such a big part of the show. So it's been a pleasure to hear more about your time on it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Mia. It was really cool to talk. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this interview with Chris and Aidan. If you did, do let us know. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at BrollyBuddies. Email us at BrollyBuddies at gmail.com or even leave us a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash Brolly Buddies. And as ever, if you want to leave us a review, we'd really appreciate it because it helps more people find the podcast and know what to expect. Plus, if you say nice things, it makes us happy. Until next time, bye!